Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we were with Dr. Abby Johnson. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So just to start off, could you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your story for those who don't know? Yeah, sure. Um, I worked at Planned Parenthood for eight years. I uh, ended up being an abortion clinic director for them um, out at a, a, one of their facilities in the Houston affiliate. And, um, you know, got involved in college, didn't know much about Planned Parenthood, didn't know anything about Planned Parenthood, actually just got involved with them, believing that I was helping women, believing all of their, um, talking points at the time that they wanted to, you know, keep abortion safe, legal, and rare, and they wanted to prevent abortion, you know, all the things that we heard back then. We don't really hear that now. Mm -hmm. Now they're very forward-facing about their, um, you know, uh, just wanting to provide abortion, to be an abortion provider. Back then it was, it was not that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, got involved as young, naive, um, you know, college kid believing all of this, you know, feminist jargon and, um, was there for a while. And there were a few things that last year that had really started to bother me. We had a, we had an abortion quota at the facilities, a certain number of abortions that we had to sell to women. But that, that last year I was there, I'd been told that we were going to, double the abortion quota that had been set for us. And that was weird to me, uh, because I thought, wait a minute, we're, I thought we wanted to reduce abortions and now you're telling me we're going to mm -hmm. double the quota. And there was just a lot of things. We were building this really huge facility in Houston and, um, 78,000 square foot abortion facility. We were going to be aborting babies through the six month of pregnancy. So we're talking about, you know, viable babies, um, babies that can potentially live outside of the womb with mm -hmm. medical intervention. And that, that had kind of been like a, that had been a line in the sand for me, you know, shouldn't take the lives of babies that can live on their own. And, you know, I was going to be at a, at a facility that was doing that. So there were a lot of things, but ultimately I ended up leaving after witnessing a, a live ultrasound guided abortion and seeing a, a 13 week old baby struggle and fight for his life against the abortion instruments. And I'd never seen anything like that before. I was not someone who was typically in the abortion room and, and ultrasounds are not usually used during the actual abortion procedure. So to my knowledge, that was the first time anything like that had ever been done in our facility. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked. I mean, I had never seen anything like that before. Never really even considered, uh, I mean, that sounds dumb, but I'd never really even considered what was happening to this child in the womb, that this baby could be feeling what was happening or that this baby could be fighting for his life or that, you know, we had that same human fight or flight response, right? That when our lives are in danger, that we would respond in the same way. We would try to, you know, save our lives, save our own lives. And so anyway, I saw that and I just thought, oh my gosh, like there's humanity in the womb, there's life in the womb. And I knew that if those two things were true, and clearly they were, I had just seen that that was true, 
then I was, I was on the wrong side of this debate. So I ended up leaving and, um, and I've been just speaking out about the evils, the horrors of abortion, uh, ever since. Mm-hmm. Now, Planned Parenthood tried to sue you, correct? What did, what did that feel like going up against a big company? <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because I, I did not expect it. It sounds kind of silly, but and they were my friend. These were my best friends, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I've been there for eight years. These are my best friends. So I was like, it'll be fine. Like, I'm, I'm going to leave and they are going to respect my choice because they are pro-choice. So mm-hmm. if I make a choice and I, you know, and I'm, I'm no longer a supporter of abortion, they're going to be fine with that because they're my friends and, and they're, they're for, they're for women making their own choices, right? Uh, that was like really naive and stupid of me to think that, but, um, that was not what happened. They ended Mm -hmm. up suing me and, um, they tried to get a permanent, uh, injunction of disclosure. So a permanent gag order against me. So I wouldn't be able to talk about the things I know, the things I had seen, um, all their little dirty secrets, right? Their dirty laundry. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew a bunch of it. Because I had been yeah. running their clinics, right? I had been to all the closed door meetings. I had, you know, handed out the the checks for hush money, all their settlement money. I mean, I had done all that kind of stuff. So uh, they really did not want me to talk. But what happened was that when they sued me, that story uh, of them suing me, that actually got, they sent a press release out to the Associated Press. And the Associated Press was like, why are you suing her? What, what do you not want her to say? Right? Because it's, it's Mm -hmm. not normal for someone to leave their job and then get sued. Right. And, and you know, you're trying to keep that person quiet. That's not normal. Um, and so the media was like, well, what do you not want her to say? And that actually is what prompted me to do what I'm doing today. Uh, I had no intention of doing this. I had no intention of talking about my story publicly. I was embarrassed. I mean, once I realized what I'd been doing, that I'd been, you know, participating in the murder of innocent children, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want anybody to know I've done this. I'm embarrassed by what I've done. I just want to, like, I don't know, like, slink off, right? And, like, I don't want anybody to know anything I've done. But they really put it out in, you know, in the light and um, exposed it and God opened that door for me. And I just felt like, okay, well, I've got to walk through it. Mm -hmm. Which is crazy because you've said in the past that you walked into that courtroom confident because you knew that the other people were defending evil. Yeah. Well, I knew I'd done nothing wrong. So my attorney was funny. My attorney, Jeff, he he kept going, okay is there something you haven't told me? Like up until the moment we were walking in, he's like, okay, Abby, like if there's something you haven't told me, like now's the time to tell me, you know, so that we can handle it. Like we can do. And I'm like, Jeff, I swear, like there's nothing. Like I, I was a good employee for them. I, I got their employee of the year award. Like 
there's nothing like I did everything I was supposed to do for them. I, I was good for them. Um, I don't even know what they're going to say in here mm -hmm. because there's just nothing. And there was nothing. That was the thing. Um, there was nothing. And that's why we were in the courtroom for, I think a whole 45 minutes and the, the judge threw it out. He dismissed it. He was like, this is ridiculous. Y'all have nothing. This woman left. She didn't want to do this job anymore. She left. People are allowed to quit their jobs. <laughs> and you don't, you should not be suing her for quitting her job. Mm -hmm. And this she doesn't want to do this anymore. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. And just threw it out. One of the narratives that I hear a lot, and I don't know the exact statistics, but you hear a lot of people on the left say, well, abortion is only 2% of all of the services that Planned Parenthood provides. Is that accurate? No, it's definitely not accurate. And I mean, everybody knows that's not true. Everybody inside of Planned Parenthood knows that's not true. Um, and now, interestingly enough, uh, Planned Parenthood is really even, well, I would say they've shied away from saying that anymore. Back in uh, 2020, I went to the women's convention. So it was the women's March convention. I didn't sneak in or anything. Like I used my real name or whatever. I went in, I was there for like a whole four hours before they kicked me out. And, um, I went in, of course I went like on the, you know, in, in the like abortion, you know, track or whatever. And, um, I, I go in there and I went into one of the Planned Parenthood. Um, it was a, a, a conference about, it was a breakout about, um, abortion stigma. And so it was this woman from Planned Parenthood, from Planned Parenthood Federation of America. She's up there, uh, talking and she says that this is a Planned Parenthood worker. Okay. So she's standing up there. This is an executive from Planned Parenthood. She's standing up there. The whole room is full of abortion workers, Planned Parenthood workers, whatever, and me. And so I'm, I'm in there listening to her and she says, you know, guys, uh, you know, we're talking about abortion stigma. She said, one of the things that we've got to stop doing is we have to stop saying that abortion is only 3% of what we do. And this is what she said. She said, number one, as people work at Planned Parenthood, we all know that's not true. We all know it's more than that. And everybody just kind of started shaking their heads and laughing because they all know, right? Mm -hmm. They all know it's this creative accounting, this creative math that they do, right? To get to those numbers, they bundle and unbundle services and all that kind of stuff. I've written about that a lot. But she said, but the other thing is that there's nothing wrong with abortion, so we need to stop acting like it needs to only be a small percentage of what we do. She said, we're happy if it's a hundred percent of what we do. We're happy if it's 98%. We don't need to say it's only a small number because we don't want it to only be a small number. That's what creates stigma. And I was like, Okay. Like there, I mean, there's Planned Parenthood right there mm -hmm. saying it outright. So if they're saying that, like, we need to stop saying it. Like if they're saying guys, stop saying this, then mm -hmm. we need to stop saying it. And it's really a stupid argument too. Like we're, when people are trying to defend abortion, 
we need to remember these are people trying to defend murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's plain and simple. Like when, when else do we allow people to defend murder and get away with it? Like never. Like are we ever like, well, I mean, you're right. Like, I mean, murder, it's okay sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's, I mean, it's not okay in these cases to, def- to murder innocent people, but these cases it's okay. No, like we would never be like, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's all right sometimes. No, like murder's wrong all the time. And we, you know, we need to keep that in mind when we're talking about abortion. I mean, let's just call it what it really is. It's murder of innocent human beings in the womb. That's what it is. When we're talking about murder, when we're talking about abortion, like we're using a more palatable term, but that's what it is. And, um, but we use more watered down language to make everybody feel better Mm -hmm. about what they're doing. Um, but no, we would never defend murder in, in any other circumstance, but we allow, and it, you know, it's funny. I mean, it's kind of a gross comparison, but I'm like, you know, if I, if I made like a pan of brownies and I gave it to somebody and I was like, and they were like, Oh my God, these brownies, are, they look so good. You know what I'm like? Oh yeah. But don't worry. I just like, I put a little bit of dog poop in it, but don't worry. It's only like 2%. It's only 3%. Only 3% of the brownies. Dog right. poop. It's fine. Because the rest of it is good and real chocolatey and gooey. Just a little bit of dog poop. And people will be like, you're freaking crazy. Like, I'm not going to eat any of these brownies, right? Because the whole thing is tainted. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter, like, what good Planned Parenthood does. It doesn't matter about anything else they do. Because the rest of it is tainted with murder. <laughs> like, and the, we yeah. have to keep that at the forefront of our minds. Mm -hmm. I just think about when you were talking that all of the lives that you've been able to touch sharing your story and all the babies that have been saved from you sharing your story. I just think of how our world would look like a different place if Planned Parenthood was able to get a gag order on you. (laughs) You know? Well, I think I would have like been in jail already because I'm not (laughs) sure I would have been able to keep my mouth shut. So it would have been, it would have been difficult for me. It's, it's God's plan. Um, you said at a speech at Liberty University that we are all once and away from walking down a bad path. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. You know, I tell kids, especially like I did not just wake up one day and start working in an abortion clinic. I didn't, I've had two abortions myself. I didn't just wake up one day and go, Oh, I can't believe it. I have an unplanned pregnancy. What, how did this happen? You know, my road into a sinful lifestyle. It, it, it was a slow decline right into sin. It didn't just happen one day. I I mean, and, and that's that it can be that way for anybody. That's how it is Mm -hmm. for everybody. Um, you know, sin grabs you slowly. It kind of, I tell people, it grabs you by the little toe and it just starts creeping up your leg. Right. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's overtaking your whole body. For me, it was immodesty. And I think that's the way it is for a lot of young people. It's immodesty. I don't just mean immodesty in dress, but I mean, immodesty in language, immodesty in actions. Um, you know, and, and yes, of course, immodesty in dress too. But, um, 
just the crowd of people I was around, um, the things that I did, the way that I talked, um, the behavior I participated in, you know, all of that led to, uh, you know, various actions that, you know, put me into different relationships, put me into risky behaviors. All of those things led to my first unplanned pregnancy. That first unplanned pregnancy is what put me on an abortion clinic table for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that opening my life up to that abortion is what eventually led me into the doors of the abortion clinic as a worker. You know, if I would have never had that abortion, I would have never even thought about, you know, entertaining the idea of going to work for an abortion clinic and helping women, you know, like myself who had been, you know, supposedly helped by an abortion. And that, you know, that led to a series of other decisions. And, you know, once I was in the industry, then it was, well, I had another implant pregnancy. It's really easy to have another abortion once you're already working in the clinic. You know, that led to me going into, you know, the, you know, school system and, and teaching all this graphic sex education to children and, you know, throwing that immorality on, on these young vulnerable children. And then, you know, eventually, uh, you know, now I, I've been responsible for facilitating over 22,000 abortions. All of that stemmed from this immodesty, right, that started in high school. It didn't, it, you know, it just snowballs on each other. And that can happen to anybody. People, mm -hmm. I, t I talk to people all the time, they're like, man, I just don't know how, how that happened. You know, how'd you go from being this good Christian kid to working in an abortion clinic? I'm like, buddy, it could have been you. Mm -hmm. It could be anybody. That could be anybody. You know, I see it happen. I'm a therapist. I see it happen with the strongest marriages. All of a sudden, somebody's having an affair. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's just this slow, steady decline into mm -hmm. sin. You know, a lot of times it'll start with just a lustful thought, a lustful action. And then all of a sudden you're deep into pornography and now you're having an affair. And it, I mean, it just, it happens all the time and it can happen with any person, Christian mm -hmm. or not. It can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. I vividly remember when the movie Unplanned came out and I was in college. Um, and I remember watching that movie and leaving and the impact that it had being young and in college. Um, I'll never forget ever watching that movie, but what do you say to the young college girl who got a positive pregnancy test that doesn't know which decision to make? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary. I've been there before and I made the wrong decision, uh, twice. And I, I think, you know, society tells these, these young women that you can make this, um, that it's, you can make this permanent decision to end your pregnancy and you can have an abortion and, um, you can make a permanent decision and it, you'll never think about it again. Um, you know, the, the reality though, is that most of the time these women make these very permanent decisions based on temporary life circumstances. You know, you're in college. Well, you won't always be in college. Um, you know, you're, you don't have a lot of money. Well, that may not always be the case, right? Um, you know, your parents will be disappointed. Well, they won't be disappointed once you have that baby and they're holding that baby. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, your boyfriend left you. Well, he might've left you, but 
you'll probably more than likely you will find a great man later in life, right? But we are encouraging people, and this is just our society in general. We are encouraging people to make really, really permanent life decisions based on temporary circumstances. And we're telling people that you can make decisions without consequences. Mm -hmm. And that is just not the way that life works. Um, You know, we need to think about the future. We need to think about the consequences of our decisions. We need to think about those consequences before we make the decisions, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's, that's what I tell, you know, women when they contact me and they tell me they're pregnant, I'm like, you know, you've got to think about what the long-term consequences of this decision are going to be. Are you really ready to, to say I'm, you know, I'm going to be responsible for the death of another human being, not only any human being, but a human being that's growing inside of me. That's part of me that the, the stem cells of this child that you're going to kill are scientifically going to live in your body for the rest of your life. Wow. And, and you're going to pretend like you're never going to think about that baby again, but that baby is going to reside inside of you for the rest of your life. Like that, that's how natural law works. And you're going to violate natural law based on a temporary circumstance. And we've got to, we really have to start thinking about those things. And, you know, it, this is a abortion affects generations, Mm -hmm. you know, um, my mom was encouraged to, my grandmother was encouraged to have an abortion with my mom. And I think, God, what if she would have done that? Right. My, my mom wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. My children wouldn't be here. Um, it, it affects our whole nation. It affects everything around us. There's a ripple effect. When you kill someone, it affects entire generations of people. It affects our world. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I counsel women in pregnancy centers. I tell them all the time, these women are like, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't think I was going to get pregnant. I'm like, well, probably should have thought about that before Mm -hmm. you made that very adult decision, you know, in the bedroom or the back of his truck or wherever you were. It's not fair to punish an innocent human being because of your decision. Mm -hmm. That's not fair. We don't do that. And there will always be consequences, um, for our decisions. And we have to, we have to start owning up to them. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the other narratives that's recently been on social media again, especially with Roe v. Wade being overturned, is that the closing down of safe abortion centers will rise the unsafe at-home back alley abortions. What do you think about that narrative? Well, that narrative is so false because the abortion industry has been pushing at-home abortions for decades through medication abortion, through the RU46 pill. So, you know, this idea that, well, now women are going to take things into their own hands. They've been taking things in their own hands for, for decades through RU46. I had a medication abortion in 2003, mm-hmm. so 20 years ago, and it was hell. It was awful. It was terrible. Um, I thought I was going to die from it. I bled for eight weeks. I, pl- I passed clots the size of women's for eight weeks. Um, that's the reality of medication abortion. Women are, are dying from medication abortion. A young woman, um, named, uh, Alana Davis just died, uh, not that long ago 
from medication abortion. There was a young woman in Canada that just recently died from medication abortion. Reality is that medication or abortion deaths in general are not reported. The only way that we know if a woman dies from, from abortion is if the family comes forward to the media. Wow. And so there are women dying, I can tell you, monthly from these, these dangerous abortion procedures that are completely legal. We just, we don't know it because the shame is so strong. These families are not going to come forward and, and tell the world that their, their precious children had an abortion. That's how they died. Um, but you know, I live in Texas. Abortion is illegal technically, uh, by policy. It's illegal here and tell you women are dying, um, by illegal means. Um, women are still alive and kicking here. And, uh, if they want to have an abortion, they can get one through mail. They can get one, you know, they can get the RU 46 pill by mail, just like they could before Roe was overturned. Mm -hmm. So nothing's changed. Women are still alive. What I can tell you is that more babies are being born in the state of Texas, which mm -hmm. is a good thing. Mm -hmm. How can Christians and even non-believers who feel the same way that we do about this topic, how can we come together and how can we help? We've got to start talking about this more. It feels like, um, you know, Christians are scared to talk about these topics, particularly abortion. They don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to make anybody mad. We don't want to talk about it in our churches. Everybody feels like abortion is a political issue. Abortion is not a political issue. Abortion is a sin issue. Mm -hmm. Anything that's a sin issue is a Jesus issue. And if it's a Jesus issue, it's a church issue. Abortion is the greatest human rights tragedy that we will ever see in our lifetime, probably in, ever um, in the history of our world. Uh, 2,400 children are dying every day. Uh, we've never seen anything like that in, in our world. And, uh, you know, and we're just sitting around going, well, we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to make anybody mad. We don't want to offend anybody. I mean, my gosh, I... I tell people all the time, you know, look, you can offend me into heaven, but do not love me into hell. Mm -hmm. And we as Christians are loving a lot of people into hell because we are not telling them the truth. And our churches are loving a lot of people into hell because our churches are not telling people the truth. They're not giving people the true gospel. They're not telling people who, you know, the real Christ is. And, um, and that's really sad. And these leaders are going to be held accountable for that. But we as Christians cannot just wait on our leaders. We cannot just wait on our pastors to step up and do the right thing. We have to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So we've got to get involved. You know, don't just sit around and go, well, he's not doing what he needs to do. Well, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? What are you starting? What, you know, is there a way you can do something in your church? What small things can you do? Can you volunteer at your local pregnancy resource center? Um, you know, can you start a life chain in your community? I mean, there's so many things that we can do individually. You don't have to wait for an invitation. You can get started. And if there's already something going on, find out what it is and get involved. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Well, Abby, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Of course. Thanks so much.